Thanks, everybody. Thank you. down. Thank you. I love this church. I love what God has done. If this is your first time here, you're thinking, phew, <laughs> little bald guy, big deal. Been so honored all weekend. I, I'm actually uh, fairly worn out through all the emotion. I've experienced every emotion known, known to man. Uh, happy, sad, grateful, Humbled. Um, I just have been so honored to be able to stand on this stage, and uh, I just give all glory to God for what He's chosen to do uh, through a very flawed man. And so I just uh, thank you for that honor. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online as well as a part of our church. Um, Next week, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, but next week will actually be the final weekend that I'll be the senior pastor of this church. And again, every emotion has gone through me and will continue, I'm sure. But it's going to be a fantastic service next weekend. Uh, the video work that our team has been doing has been phenomenal. I've seen some of it. Uh, there'll be a lot of laughter. There'll be some tears, some surprises. Uh, my son will speak a little bit. My daughter, uh, they're not looking forward to that, actually. <laughs> actually, they are. They're just nervous about it, but it'll be very, uh, very warm and endearing, I'm sure. Um, so a lot's going to happen next week. Invite you back. If, you're, if Lionel Lakes, though, is not your campus, I, I would urge you to stay at your campuses uh, to not, you know, overfill this one. And by the way, let's be honest, I'm nothing to look at in person anyway, so <laughs> honestly, I'm really not. But we are in a series called What Matters Most, and when we planned this back in May, the team said, Bob, this will be your last series, and so if you could tell our church the things that mattered most to you, what would they be? And last weekend, Jason spoke on eternity, and it was such a great message. You know, Jesus said that if we gain the whole world but lose our soul in eternity, that's a really bad trade-off. You know, if you don't want to spend 80 or so short years here on earth only to die one day and spend the next billion or so years separated from God and everybody you love. So if you ask me what matters most, it's pointing as many people as we can to Jesus Christ who said these words. He said, look, I, I am the way to heaven and to live this life. He says, and gang, there is a way. Jesus is the way. If you're looking for a way, he is the truth. There is such a thing as truth. There is right and wrong, and Jesus is the embodiment of truth, and the things he said were true. And if you live your life by his truth, you'll win. I am the way. I am the truth. He says, I am the life. I will breathe new life into you if you receive me as your Savior. Nobody gets to heaven except through me. Now, the reason he could say that is he's the only one who died and then three days later rose from, from death. I mean, try that. No one has ever done that. 
He died, predicted his death and resurrection the third day, by the way, to pay for your sins and mine. The perfect lamb of God was sacrificed on a cross to pay for sins. He was perfect. He was sinless. He did it to pay for our sins, the sins of this world, that whoever put their faith in him, he would extend the same promise of resurrected life, not only in this life, but when we all die one day. And so 28 years ago, I stood in front of this congregation. We were just 300 people at the time. And I said, look, there's 50,000 people within a golf shot of our church who don't know Christ. And we're going to do everything we can to reach them. Because nothing matters more than that. I get emails every week from people telling me how God has used our church to change their life for the good. How at one time they were without hope but then they hear about a God who offers to forgive them and give them a new life of love and joy and peace. Some of you don't have peace. And Jesus can give you that today, a life of purpose. People like Kyle from Minneapolis wrote me a while back. He said, I should start by saying that I consider myself to be an agnostic He said, I used to think there was nothing out there, but then I realized I really have no idea. So with the push from my girlfriend and mother of my two little girls, I came to a few services at Eagle Brook. My girlfriend and I are going through a lot of trouble in our relationship. It's like every one of your messages spoke right to me. He said, I've teared up at every one because of how hard they hit and how they relate to my daily struggle to find happiness. Since coming to church, though, I've changed a lot in my life. I've changed my habits, goals, and relationships. I may never find God, but your messages have made me a better father and hopefully one day a better husband. Kyle says, so from the bottom of my heart as I tear up writing this, I want to thank you. And he said, please thank your church for helping me become a better man. You know, Kyle's not there yet. He's close. He hasn't put his faith in Jesus yet, but if and when it happens, he will become a forgiven person, a hope-filled person with a new life. I mean, when you take an honest look at the condition of our world, the condition of our schools these days, our families, our inner cities where seven out of 10 kids are being raised without a dad? I mean, what's the answer to that? When a bunch of kids this week in St. Paul beat up an innocent guy on the street just down the road here in St. Paul, kids who are 15 and 16 years old just beat the snot out of him, steal his van with his two little kids inside. Who does that? What's wrong with our culture and society? What's wrong here is dads aren't home. And kids are left just to do their deal. Angry, don't have direction, no God. You know, can government solve that? Can our university solve that? Can money or a sports team 
I mean, what's the answer to the heartache and wreckage that so many people in our culture face today and we all kind of get dinged by it? You know, the church is the hope of the world. It's the only hope. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ can change a human heart. And when that happens, they get a new life of forgiveness and morality and goodness, freedom and hope. Jesus said, look, in Luke 15, he said, there is more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Jesus said there's more partying going on in heaven when just one person finds new life in Christ than the 99 who are already saved. Because I'm telling you, when one dad finds Christ or one mom or one coach or teammate or friend finds their way to Jesus, God can begin to change their life and their family and their schools and even a city. I got to tell this story one more time. Some of you remember what happened to our dog, Blue, and we got him as a puppy. Uh, that I didn't tell anybody for a really long time. But one day I had to go fix a deer stand, and that's, you got to do that. And so I took, took him with me way back in the woods, surrounded by swamp and water, drove my truck in as far as I could go, then walked a half a mile where my stand was with my little puppy following me uh, on the trail. And I climbed up to stand 20 feet high. I had no business. I have no business being that high anymore, but I, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So I climbed up and I began working on my stand. And my little dog, Blue, uh, lost track of where I was. Even though I was encouraging him and saying, Blue, I'm up here. He, he just couldn't, couldn't connect the dots. He, was so, dots. he was so young. And he started whimpering and crying. And so I'd call his name, but he didn't know where I was. And, and it took me longer than I expected and so for about 10 minutes, I just kind of forgot about him. And suddenly I looked down and, and he was gone. Nowhere to be seen. I was 20 feet up. I started yelling toward the swamp and water, blue, blue. He had no identification, no awareness of the danger he was in. Lots of coyotes where I hunt. For three or four minutes, I just yelled and whistled as loudly as I could. And because I wasn't really paying attention, I had no idea how long he'd been gone, or which way he went. My heart sank, scrambled down out of the tree. I took off running through the woods in the direction of the truck, hoping that maybe he'd sense that that's the way he should go. And 100 yards down the trail, here he came running toward me in a full sprint. I dropped down on the ground, and he flew into my arms. We rolled around on the ground. He licked my face. He was nipping at my ears. And then I scooped him up, and I said, Bluey, we're not going to tell anybody about this, <laughs> ever. And we drove home. I love this dog. I'd do anything to save him. But as a puppy, he was a terrible sinner. He destroyed our furniture. He put a strain on our marriage. He eats coyote scat. He commits ungodly sins at the dog park. It's embarrassing what he does with other dogs. But when I realized that he was lost, 
I went into full search mode. There was nothing I wouldn't do to save him. And I'm telling you, there's nothing God wouldn't do to save you and me. God's love is overabundant for every one of us, no matter who you are or what you've done. God will do anything to find and save you. He is in full search mode. He sent his son Jesus, the Bible says, to seek and to save those who are lost. And when a lost one is found, all of heaven erupts with joy. It's why for the past 28 some years, we have focused on the one. Each one of you has a name with a real life and real fears and concerns. And God loves you. Because when somebody meets Jesus, Jesus begins to change their life and values and family and future. One of the most famous stories in the Bible is where Jesus tells about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And he's, he's trying to describe what God is like. And on this particular day, when Jesus told this story, he was in the marketplace having lunch with some people who the Bible describes as tax cheaters and sinners. He was having lunch with these corrupt people, you know, people who drank too much, wound up in the wrong bed, swore a lot, and listened to Mick Jagger and Eric Church. <laughs> so he was hanging with them. And he's having lunch when some Pharisees show up, religious leaders, and they're outraged that Jesus would be having lunch with these moral screw-ups. And so Jesus turns to these religious guys and he tells three of the most famous stories in the Bible, back to back to back, about the lost sheep, lost coin, and lost son. And he goes from a sheep which has some value to a coin that has more value to a man's son which has the highest value of all. And he tells these stories to the religious elite. to try to illustrate why he came. And that was to reach lost people who are far from God. Now I want to focus on the lost son briefly today. This kid took off with his father's money and he blew it all in back alleys and dark places. You might know the story as the prodigal son. But the truth is, we're all prodigals. Every single one of us. We've all run from God. The Bible says it this way. All of us have sinned. What does the word all mean? It means all of us. Me. Including me. Especially me. I have sinned. And I know you've sinned. I know some of you. I mean it's all of us. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of what God expects. We've all run from God at times. A couple years ago, I was on a 20-mile bike ride, and whenever I see somebody ahead of me, I want to catch up and beat them. I don't know. It just is. That day, I was on a long stretch. There were two other bikers about a quarter mile ahead of me, so I bore down, blew past the first guy, caught him. Second guy was tough. I was determined. I pedaled hard, fast, strong. Finally, I caught him, and I thought, I won that race. So I let up a little just to rest. 
But a minute later, he caught up with me, and as he passed me, he said, watch it on the right. And it irked me. I was immediately irked. Plus, nobody passes on the right. He said, watch it on the right. I said, you don't have to worry about me, pal. To which he said, and you don't have to worry about me. We're in our little spandex shorts, tough guys. And I wanted to bump him into the ditch. No kidding, I was just mad. He was probably another pastor. You know, a Lutheran one, you know the type. And you can't let another Lutheran pastor beat you. And so I sped up, blew past him, never saw him again. He's probably a nice guy. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> a mile later, I thought, what is that? Bob, what's wrong with you? It's just sin. Just flat out sin. And we all have it. And so this kid takes off with a pocket full of money and a heart full of sin. And the Bible is clear that he spends most of his time in brothels. In fact, Luke 15 says with prostitutes. And again, Jesus tells this story to religious leaders. And he's trying to paint a picture of a kid who's really lost, but I have a question, as, in my, as I prepared this, I thought, why did the kid run in the first place? I mean, he had a good home, loving parents, everything he needed. Why did he go? Honestly, I just think he was bored. And this can happen. You know, I think he thought, you know, living at home, I'm tired of it. It's no fun, it's boring, I'm tired of my parents, I'm tired of being a good kid, I'm tired of it all. I deserve better. And maybe some of you thought that. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of school. I'm tired of my marriage. If I'm married, I'm tired of, I'm tired of the kids. I'm tired of my job. I deserve better. And then maybe you start to rationalize and you think, you know, I do deserve better. I did get a raw deal. My husband's a dud. My wife's a drag. My parents are idiots. And they probably are. <laughs> Maybe. But some of them are, and you got to deal with that. You got to learn how to deal with that. It's a great book out, When to Walk Away from Toxic People. Everybody ought to read it. You'll be hearing about that book more. But you have this, I deserve better, so you're tempted to take off and live life on your own terms. But here's what the kid never does. He never thinks it through. He never thinks about the consequences and pain. And I can tell you, pain is always the consequence of running from God. The Bible says after he spent everything, there was a severe famine, and he began to be in need you know, people who run from God, faith, and commitments, they never see the famine coming, but it always does. And they start hungering for what they once had. And some of you might have areas of pain and famine right now. And maybe God is using that to try to get your attention. 
trying to get you to think about your life, the choices you're making, and where you're headed. And that's this kid. He ends up losing everything, his money, his purity, his dignity, and he is in such pain that he knows his only chance is maybe to go back home and just beg his dad to take him back. And so in desperation, he makes up this little speech. I'll go back to my father. I'll say, look, I've sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I'm no longer, keyword worthy. I no longer have worth to be called your son. I'll ask my dad just to take me back as one of his hired hands. And I think with brilliant insight, Jesus pinpoints the problem of every human heart, including mine, which is feeling unworthy. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. How many of us don't feel worthy or don't feel worth? We don't feel valued. We don't feel truly loved. Gang, I can tell you, I think that is the heart cry of every human life. We don't feel like we're valuable because of sins done by him and by us and to us. We often don't feel worthy of God's love. Sometimes we don't see ourselves as sons and daughters, but as hired hands who don't measure up. And that's this kid. He thinks that because of sins done by him and sins done to him, the father possibly can't possibly value him. He thinks, how could anybody love or forgive someone like me? And again, maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe you don't feel worthy of God's love. You struggle with worth. You hear that God loves you, that he offers to forgive you, but you struggle to believe it because maybe you think what you did or have done is unforgivable. Or maybe people say things about you at work or school that makes you feel worthless. I get it. I want you to know I feel that way sometimes because of sins done by me and sins done to me, I sometimes beat myself up and say, Bob, how can you be so inept, so insecure? Why did you snap like that? Why do you keep doing and saying things that are so hurtful and wrong? And instead of feeling completely forgiven, sometimes I forget that I'm deeply loved, created in the image of God, sent his son to pay for my sins. Sometimes instead of feeling forgiven and loved, I feel small and unworthy. But now I want to end this final message with two truths that I hope you will never forget. And the first truth is this, that you are worthy. Every single one of you God had you in mind before you were born, put you together, knows everything about your life and your personality. You are unique. You are worthy, not because of the good things you've done, 
but the good thing that Jesus has done. Jesus took all of our sins on himself. He took all our unworthiness to a cross and he nailed it there. And when we put our faith in him, he gives us his righteousness. We're not righteous, but he is and he gives us his righteousness when we put our faith in him. In fact, Romans 3 says this, this righteousness that we're talking about doesn't come from us. It comes from God through faith, not works, because none of us can work our way to, to God. We're not good enough. And he says, it's for all who believe. It's not our righteousness. It's God's righteousness that he gives us when we put our faith in the righteous one. Look at this verse, Romans 8, 1 says, there is right now, I love this verse, you ought to memorize it, there's right now, this very moment, there is right now absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's not an ounce of condemnation, there's not an ounce of judgment, no one's pointing fingers at you from heaven. There's right now, in this very moment where you sit, there's right now no condemnation for those of you whose faith is in Christ and are being robed and covered by Jesus' righteousness. God looks at us through the righteousness of Christ and he sees purity, even though we're not pure. And I think what we need to do, what I need to do for myself is remind myself every single day of this truth. In fact, here's another truth, Romans 8, 39. Nothing can separate you from God's love. What does the word nothing mean? means nothing. There's not a thing that can separate you from God's love, not your sin, not your divorce, if that was the case, not your addiction, not your darkest secret. Nothing can separate you from God's love. You are worth it. You are worthy of highest worth to God. The second truth I want you to remember is that your father is waiting you're worthy of his love, and he's waiting for you. You know, this is for all of us who think our sin is so bad that God can't possibly forgive it. It's for those who think there's no way the Father can forgive my sin of lying or cheating, anger, addiction, stealing, divorce, or even abortion. Look at the Father's love. This is for every single one of us. But while he was a long way off, his Father saw him. The Father sees you. You might be a long way off. And he is filled with compassion for you. For his sons and daughters. The Father ran. This is a picture of God running to you. The Father ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him repeatedly. He hasn't even heard the boy's speech yet. For all he knows, the kid wants more money. But look at the Father's love in verse 22. Bring the best robe. And this is a symbol of righteousness. The robe of righteousness. Put it on him. I know he's a mess. I know he sinned badly. Bring the best robe of righteousness. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. For this son of mine was lost. But now he is found. God doesn't want you as his hired hand. He wants you. As his beloved son. 
his precious daughter. That no matter what you've done or who you are, he wants you to just come home. Sit at the table. Receive his love. Be a part of the family. Gang, you are worthy of that. And the father is waiting for you just to come home. If you haven't. A couple years ago, my wife and I took our kids and their spouses on a one-week vacation. This was before they had kids. Because I wasn't going to take the whole crew. (laughs) So six of us. I've told this before. We saved up. We rented a place in Mexico. We'd never done that before, but our son-in-law, Nellie, was graduating from med school, and we thought, let's give this a whirl. The day we left Minneapolis, uh, everybody was under stress, and it was a rough start. So I prayed that God would do something special in our family, kind of bring the six of us together in a new way and build a great memory. And I want to be careful how I say this, and Nellie has given me permission, but Nellie had a difficult upbringing. Parents divorced when he was two, raised by a single mom who worked full-time, so he was alone a lot, waiting after school when everybody else was gone, wondering, my dad going to come? Didn't see much of his dad, who was fairly absent and disengaged. And stuff happens to a little boy or a little girl when they don't have a father around, loving them, teaching them, building into them. Author John Eldridge calls this a father wound. He says, every little boy and girl wonders, does my dad love me? Does he think I'm strong or pretty or talented? Does he think I have what it takes? Gang, when a father is absent or immoral, those questions never get answered. And a child spins out into the world, wondering if they have worth. And so I decided that I would be a father to Nellie, not to replace his dad, but just be a loving father to him. And so I've taken him fishing. I've helped him with his car. I bought him a shotgun because you got to have a shotgun if you're going to be in our family. (laughs) At least one. So we were down in Mexico, and on the fourth night, we picked a restaurant that was recommended to us, and we were led back to this open-air setting dining area that was very intimate. And we were the only ones there. Turns out the owner was also the chef and he was going to cook for us on the grill and serve us and do the whole thing. And it seemed like it was just planned for us. No one else there. So I decided to take a chance and I said, look, we don't have to do this. We won't if you don't want to, if you think it's dorky or whatever. But what if each of us thought of just one thing that we are thankful for this past year and just kind of shared around the table? So my daughter, Meg, started off, and then Sarah, David's wife, and both were great. And then it was my son David's turn. 
And with emotion in his voice, he looked at Megan Nelly across the table, who'd been through so much, living thousands of miles away from home at a med school in Dominica, which was not a good place. Then moving to Saginaw, Michigan, again, <laughs> not a good place. <laughs> then to the Mayo Clinic for a year, then to Mizzou, Missouri, for four years, now in Pittsburgh for one year, fellowship. David looked across the table and he said, I'm so proud of you guys. You've been through so much. No money, living in crappy apartments, far from family, wondering if you'll ever make it, but here you are. And he paused and he said, Nellie, you're going to be a doctor. And Sarah and I are so thankful that you're in our family. And then it was Nellie's turn, and he couldn't speak. For several seconds, the tears just rolled down his, his face. And finally, he lifted his head, and he said, what I'm thankful for is this family, because I know that I finally belong. And then we were all wiping tears away, and gang, I don't know what else God was doing in the universe that night, but it seemed like he was shining his love down on that little table in a back room in Nowheresville, Mexico. And it seemed like God was saying to us, just take this in. Take in my love. Take in each other's love because this is what heaven's like. This is the life I want you to have. But not just for us. This is the life I believe God wants all of us to have. Because every human heart wants to belong. Wants to be loved. And there is a God-sized hole in every human life that only God can fill. You can't fill that hole with another person with another date, with another possession, with another experience. There is a place in your soul and my soul that only belongs to God. And if God is not there, we will forever be longing for love and acceptance and worth and peace. And so if you feel alone today, or if you've just been drifting through life, if you feel unworthy because of sins done by you or to you, God would say to you, just come home. Just come home. Come home to Jesus who will forgive you. He will love you. He'll make you whole. Because when you get that right, you can begin to get life right. And so, if you were to ask me, what matters most? What I've given my whole life to. It's that all of you would know Jesus, that you would put your full faith in him and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Receive his forgiveness, his healing, his wholeness. And just come home.
It's what matters more than anything. So I want to pray for you. Most of you have come home. Maybe some of you have drifted away a bit. Renew that relationship with him. But for some of you, this is your day to meet Jesus. This is your day to begin to experience his forgiveness, his healing, and his love. And so for you, I want to lead you in a prayer. And you can pray this prayer right where you are, just between yourself and God. You don't have to pray it out loud, but God will know your heart. And so let's bow at all campuses, even online if you want to. Let's just bow real quick. Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you for Luke 15. Jesus, thank you for the message that you care more about the lost one than anything else. And so if you feel lost today, if you're not sure about your faith, this is your moment. Grab it. Breathe this prayer. Jesus, Bob's been talking about me today. And so right now, right here, I want to open my heart to you. Invite you in. Lord God, replace the emptiness, loneliness, fear, anxiety, sin with your love. Lord Jesus, I am asking you to forgive me of all my sins and lead me forward into a newer and better life. Thank you for saving me in this moment. Right now, right here, I become a Christian, a real one. I love you. I'll try to worship you and follow you the rest of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, tell somebody. Text us, let us know. I love you. It's been a great run. I love you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Love you guys. Thanks.